Thank you, thank you. Good morning. morning. Just want to have a look. These are my reading glasses, so I'm having a look at you now. (laughs) What I'm enjoying, after 18 months of misery, is to look out over so many smiling, beautiful, maskless faces. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Yeah, we're moving on into the new era, and you can see it in the way we're gathering. Yeah, we are moving on. Yeah. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about something which has been bubbling up and boiling up in me through lockdown and especially lately. Uh, It's a theme which is to do with where we are, where we've been, and where we're going. And um, those of you that have been uh, going to the Hessel congregation over the last few months uh, will know what it is because I've already preached on it three times there. (laughs) But here we go again. And it's not just the same thing because there's just so much in this that I'll be able to come back to it again and again and again as we shape our idea of what the future's all about and where we're going. Yeah? And um, the title I've given this is... um, I ought to put, I exalt you because the title is Let God Arise. Let God Arise. Now, I've always been fascinated by prophecy. I mean, the Bible is packed with prophecy. And, of course, the the wonderful ones are that for a thousand years before Jesus came to earth, prophets were writing down everything about what was going to happen. They were prophesying and predicting the manner of his coming, the manner of his life, the manner of his death, the manner of his resurrection, the manner of his ascension, the manner of his enthronement in heaven. Everything that happened during that period when God visited earth and became a man was documented for thousands of years, at least a thousand years, most of them, 700 to a thousand years, most of them were written down by prophets. This is going to happen, and he's going to be like this, and it's going to happen this, and, and so it prophesied. But the one that's been bubbling up in me lately is another prophecy, which is actually 2,800 years old, where it is predicted what God was going to do in our generation, in my lifetime, today. That's exciting. We're living in a period of fulfilled prophecy. And that's exciting because you realize that God has been on the case all along and he knows what he's doing. And he knows what he's doing with the world today and the church today. Yeah? Nothing happens by chance, you know. It's all been written down before. God knows what he's doing. And so I want to talk to you this morning about a... 2,800-year-old prophecy that says what's going to happen in the last days. And I want to talk to you about the fact that these are the last days, and I want to talk to you about what's going to happen in the last days, because Jesus said it would happen. Okay? So, 
Let me start. Um, I, I've hanged this sort of theme around a song that David, or a psalm that David wrote, a hymn if you like, um, to celebrate the fact that the Ark of the Covenant, the 450 or something like that year old golden box, gold-plated wooden box with a solid gold lid hammered in one piece with solid gold cherubim each side and between those cherubim there glowed a light. But it didn't have an earthly source like that light. It was a light whose source was heaven. It was where heaven was touching earth for them at that time. And I want to tell you, we're moving into a, a time when heaven is going to touch earth more and more in the congregation of worshippers. The Shekinah is going to come amongst us. Yeah, the light is going to shine. The church is going to shine in worship. But anyway, I'm going ahead of myself to pretty much the end of the message. <laughs> yeah, so I've got to be patient. Hang on. Yeah. Okay, so David wrote this song to celebrate bringing that ark with its shining glow above it into Zion, his newly captured capital city. He captured it from the Jebusites. Three years later, it was Jerusalem, or to give it its spiritual name, Zion. And really what made it Zion was when the presence of God came in the midst of the place. Okay, so it was the capital city, and it was Zion. And so David was bringing the ark, which had been away from being at the heart of things for 20 years, and he was bringing it into the capital to set it up in a humble tent in the middle of the city, okay? And that's what's called David's tabernacle, or David's tent. And so he was bringing it in, and he wrote this psalm. So let me read out the first four, four verses of Psalm 68, which is the song in question. And this is what David wrote. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered, and let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, you drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, let the wicked perish at the presence of God. By the way, the theme is all about the presence of God and what happens in the presence of God when it is manifested. So they will melt like wax in the presence of God, but, but, so halfway through this, these, two, these four verses, we get to verse 3. We've talked about what's going to happen to the wicked and the enemy. But what's going to happen to God's people when the presence turns up? Okay? But, verse 3, the righteous are glad. They rejoice before God. Yes, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Praise him who rides on the heavens by his name. Jehovah in this translation, Yahweh in others, even Yah. So it's the name, the most holy high name of Almighty God. Jehovah or Yahweh, okay? That's the one. You're coming into the presence of Almighty God, okay? And rejoice. It's a time for being happy. It's a time for partying. It's a time for being excited. It's a time for enjoying the presence of God. And so that is the lesson 
of what we call David's tabernacle, a place where evil is routed and defeated and scattered, and the people of God really enjoy being in the presence of God. So these opening verses of David's song echo a 400-odd-year-old pronouncement, proclamation, shout of Moses when that same box, which was 400-odd years old in David's time, when they had first made it, when they were camped in a lockdown year, at the base of Mount Sinai, the year following when Moses went up to the top into the the flames and the the brilliance at the top of Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments. And from that, they were still camped around Sinai for a whole year, not able to move on, not even able to climb the mountain. In fact, they were forbidden from climbing Mount Sinai, all the people that were camped around the base on pain of death. So they were really locked down. They were restricted. But after that year of lockdown, the presence of God began to move on. That brilliance that was over Sinai began to move north. And as soon as Moses and the people saw that, Moses gave this cry, let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. So what David wrote was actually copying from 400 odd years before what Moses shouted when the presence of God was on the move. So in David's time, the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, was on the move into Zion. In Moses' time, the Ark of the Covenant was on the move into the wilderness because they were going to go 40 years journeying, or 38 by then, journeying in the wilderness and following this pillar of brilliance, pillar of cloud and fire over them, the presence of God. That's the same light. They call it in the Bible, Shekinah. It's not in the Bible, but everybody calls that brilliance the Shekinah glory, the Shekinah, okay? So the Shekinah was, was the cloud they followed, but it was also there between the cherubim over the ark. Same thing, presence of God, okay? And so Moses shouted, let God arise, and that camp, city, of thousands of tents all around the base of Mount Sinai. They all had to pack up camp. And they had to take down the tabernacle of Moses, not David's tent. This is the ornate one, the expensive one, the one that was full of gold and silver and vessels of gold and and a brazen altar. There's all sorts of stuff there. They had made all that manufactured it during the year of lockdown at the base of Sinai. That was one of the, in fact, they did three things. They were a newly birthed nation. They'd just come out of Egypt. That newly birthed nation had to have laws to live by, Ten Commandments, okay? So they had learned how this nation was to be uh, governed with laws, also how it was to be administered, because during that time they divided up the nation into administrative groups so that Moses didn't have to sort out all the problems himself. He delegated responsibility to leaders of tribes and families and so on. And so they were organized as a nation, they were instructed as a nation, and there they began to pack up the elaborate tent 
or tabernacle and all its fittings and furnishes and stuff, as well as the priest's robes. All of that was manufactured during this year of lockdown. And now they had to pack it all up and move because the presence of God was moving on. And so Moses shouted, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. And everybody started to pack up. And the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of eight Levites moved out first. In fact, it went three days ahead of the main camp because everybody had to have time to pack up and leave okay, and collect their flocks and all sorts. They'd been living there for a year. So now they had to pack them. And so the ark on that occasion, as they left Sarnia, it went three days ahead to find the next place that, where they would camp. And so it was a moving out of the presence of God in Moses' time. It was a moving in of the presence of God in David's time. And each was heralded with the same proclamation. Let God arise. And I want to tell you, that's why I want us to get a sense of excitement because God is arising in his church today. And we need to learn to let God arise. Let God arise in our worship. But actually, in all of our lives, let God arise in our households. Let God arise in our businesses. Let God arise in our workplaces. Let God arise in every part of our, our relationships. Yeah. Families. Let God arise. Let God be central. Let God be manifested in the way we live and worship. Because that is the season that we are in. The season for God to arise in all things. So it was a Moses proclamation as they came out of lockdown. It was a David hymn, 450 odd or more years later, when they were bringing that same box, golden box, the, with the presence of God hovering above it as a light, into Zion, so that the presence of God began to live or dwell in the heart of Zion. Did you know that the church is spiritual Zion? Did you know that the church is the place where we should be filled with the manifest presence of God, shining out from the church, shining out through the church? Yeah, we need the ark to dwell in Zion. Yeah, we need the presence of God to be manifested in the gathering of his people. That's why it's so important to gather it only happens when we gather. And the place of worship that David created, that tent called the Tabernacle of David, it was only a humble tent. And instead of coming with rituals and blood sacrifices, they were still going on 30 miles north in Shiloh, by the way, because the old 400-odd-year-old tent was still there and still operating sacrifices. But for David, he had a new way of approaching the presence. It was worship. It was worship. He didn't appoint more priests to sacrifice animals. He appointed worship leaders to lead the worship, to lead people into the presence of God, to lead people into a sense of God being there and, and intimate and close. You see, they were able, in Moses' time, only one man, once a year, the high priest could crawl under the veil and get into the presence of God and actually see the Shekinah glow 
above the ark. Only one man once a year. And this was Moses' tabernacle, holy of holies. That's where the ark was. It was a, it was a tent with compartments and the, the most deep compartment that nobody could ever see into was the Holy of Holies. And only once a year, with lots of blood being shed, could a high priest crawl under the four-inch thick veil to get into the presence of God. But with David, they just walked in and worshipped. They could just walk into the presence of God. They weren't coming on the grounds of blood sacrifice. They were coming upon the grounds of a heart of worship. Do you know a heart of worship brings you into the presence of God? A heart of worship brings you into the presence of God. That's the lesson of David's tabernacle. You don't have to, to do rituals and religious things and, you know. It's not that, that your life is right, it's when your heart is right. Yeah? Worship brings you into the manifest presence of Almighty God. And that is going to get more and more in these days. And so, that tent worship era called David's Tabernacle is prophesied to happen again in the last days. Let's do a bit on the last days. The last days. Jesus gave a long discourse to his disciples in Luke chapter 21 about the things that would happen from then on, predictions for the future. And those predictions were in two types. Some of the things Jesus said in Luke 21 were for the disciples of that time. He told them what would happen to them. He would tell them what would happen to the Jewish generation that would, was alive then. And we know it, it did happen that in AD 70, uh, Rome came in and completely eradicated the earthly nation of the Jews. And, and those that survived the massacre were carted off to the, the ends of the Roman Empire. So, so these sort of things were for that generation. Uh, the, the disciples themselves and the Jews that would be around at that time. But they are only part of this prophecy because Jesus also told them things that would happen for them in the distant future, in what he called the last days, and that's today. Let me read it to you, and you can see why I feel that it's today. Got it, yeah. Luke chapter 21, and I'll just read to you the bits that could apply today rather than the bits that applied to the disciples of the day when Jesus was teaching them, okay? So I'll start at verse 10. Jesus continued, there will be upheavals of every kind. Nations will go to war against each other and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be terrible earthquakes, seismic events of epic proportion. That's tsunamis, isn't it? resulting in famines in one place after another, and there will be horrible plagues and epidemics. Tell me about it. Cataclysmic storms on the earth, astonishing signs and cosmic disturbances in the heavens. Then he comes to a bit where he's talking to the disciples about the near future for them. Okay, so I'll skip that, and we're going on to verse 25. Luke 21, 25. Expect to witness amazing and perplexing signs throughout the universe with the sun and the moon and the stars. And the raging of the sea will bring desperation and turmoil to many nations. That sounds like oceans rising to me. Earthquakes will bring panic and disaster. 
What men see coming upon the earth will cause the fear of doom to grip their hearts. There is a pandemic of fear on the moment, isn't there? Yeah. For they will see even the powers of the heavenly realm shaken. Oh, and then the good bit. And at last, when you see how the Son of Man comes, surrounded with a cloud, with great power and miracles, and in the radiance of his splendor with great glory and praises, it will make you jump for joy. For the day of your full transformation has arrived. Eh? That sounds a bit like Psalm 68, doesn't it? Only in a prediction for the future as Jesus talks about the last days. And so he talks about events, but he doesn't leave it there because he goes on in verse 29 to point to another sign of when the last days will be, okay? He talks about the fig tree. In, in my Bible, the little heading is put, the lesson of the fig tree, and of course, in Scripture, we all know that the fig tree is a symbol of Israel, the nation of Israel, the fig tree, okay? And so, let's see what he says about the fig tree. Jesus, this is, I'm reading from the Bible again now. Jesus gave his disciples this parable. Haven't you observed the fig tree, or any tree, that when it buds and blooms, you realize that the season is changing and summer is near? In the same way, when you see these prophetic signs occurring, you realize the earth is yielding to the fullness of God's kingdom realm. The kingdom is coming in, if you like. I assure you, the end of this age will not come until all I have spoken comes to pass. So he points to Israel and says, you keep an eye on Israel. You'll know when the last days are arriving. Keep an eye on Israel. Okay, so we'll keep an eye on Israel. What happened to the nation of Israel? Well, I've already mentioned that in AD 70, Israel ceased to become a nation. The, the temple and the city was razed to the ground, and the people scattered throughout the, the length and breadth of the Roman Empire of the time. There was no more Israel on earth. Okay? And then, after... Nearly 2,000 years, in my lifetime, when I was seven, in 1948, Israel miraculously became a nation again with its own homeland. The fig tree has blossomed. Yeah? The fig tree has come to life again. And when you see the fig tree coming to life, you know that a change is coming. It's a change of season. It's a change of pace. And so... In 1948, Israel was, as it were, born again as a nation with its own territory. And so it's not just the multiplication of plagues and wars and earthquakes and climate change that signal the last days. We've got all those. But it's also the very existence on earth of a nation called Israel with its own homeland is an indication that we are in the last days. Okay? And it's in the last days that this tent of David that I'm talking about is going to happen. Only it's not going to happen for Jews. It's going to happen for Gentiles. It's for us. David's tabernacle is a promise for us. The Gentile church in the last days. Let me read it. Okay. So, 
let me show how it's connected to Israel first, all right? This is the David's tabernacle prophecy from Amos, 2,800 years ago. In Amos chapter 9 and verse 11, we read this. In that day, he's talking about the last days. In that day, I will raise up again the tabernacle of David that has fallen. I will rebuild the ruins of it and will set up the parts that have been broken down and will build it up as in the ancient days that the remnant of men, meaning the rest of mankind, and all the Gentiles, specifically Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, may earnestly seek me, says the Lord, who does all these things. That's the prophecy of the tabernacle David, something that happened in the Psalm 68 time when they took the ark into Zion. That situation, which lasted for 40 years in Zion, is going to come again as an era for the Gentile church. Okay? And so we're in the right time, in the right place, to see great things happen. It's an exciting and momentous period in the history of the church and of the earth. We are in the last days, and David's... Just a little bit of proof with the uh, Jewish thing, okay? In Amos chapter 9, verse 11, you've got the David's tabernacle, and it says, in that day, and the three previous verses talk about what he was going to do with Israel. Okay, so let me read from Amos chapter 9, verse 8. This is immediately preceding the David's tabernacle scripture. Okay, so this says, Amos 9, 8. I, the sovereign Lord, am watching this sinful kingdom of Israel, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. But I will not destroy all the descendants of Jacob. I will give the command and shake the people of Israel like grain in a sieve. I will shake them among the nations to remove all who are worthless. And all the sinners of my people will die by the sword who say evil won't overtake nor meet us. So he was sieving out complacency from the nation. Okay? And Israel, as we know, was scattered across the face of the nations at that time in AD 70. And they've been there ever since, up until 1948, when he began to collect them again in their homeland, Israel. So this sieving of Israel took nearly 2,000 years. But in the next verse, when that has been done, it says, and in that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David. So it's when the Jews have come through the sieving and have got their own homeland again that the tabernacle of David will happen for Gentiles. Okay? For Gentiles. Um, this is the way James quotes it in the New Testament, okay? So James is chairing, he's the head of the church in Jerusalem, chairing a council meeting to talk about what they're going to do about all these Gentiles getting saved. And so when they're deliberating, he quotes Amos 9.11 as a proof that Gentiles would come in and be part of the church. Listen to this. James says, and the prophet's words are fulfilled. After these things, I will return to you and raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen into ruin. I will restore and rebuild what David experienced so that all humanity will be able to encounter the Lord, including the Gentiles whom I've called to be my very own, says the Lord. Yeah. 
So James uses it as a proof that the church was going to be a big Gentile church as well as just Jews, okay? And so we're in, folks, we're in. So after the era of the scattering of the Jews came the era, comes the era of the shining of the Gentile church, the raising up of David's tabernacle. So it's all happening. Where's it? Oh, yeah, I have to go quickly, right? So... The era that we're, I believe, the era that we're entering into is prophesied to become one when all of mankind will be able to come joyfully into the unshaded brilliance of the presence of God in worship. That's the David's tabernacle situation, to come into the unshaded, unveiled, brilliant presence of God together as a congregation. Yeah, shining congregations, houses of glory, houses of prayer. My house shall be a house of prayer for all mankind. Yeah, and it's today that it's beginning to happen. And it is beginning to happen, oh, very quickly. Let me say that it's not an event. It's an era that God has been moving. He's, been moved. He's begun to build David's tabernacle through my lifetime. Yeah. Let me tell you a quick one. Okay, I've got a few, but I've, I've got a quick one, yeah? Some years ago, in 2006, I was writing a book and I wanted to check on what the songs that we sing tell us about where we are in this process, okay? And so I checked out three different dates. I looked at the hymnals of the 1950s. I looked at the songs of the uh, 1980s, and then the up-to-date one at that time, which was 2006, okay? And I went through the songbooks and collated who they were singing to, okay? And so I found that in the 1950s, 30% of the songs were directed to God, and 70% of the songs were directed to each other, talking about how good God is, okay, which is marvelous, but we were talking to each other about God. But 30% were directed to God, talking to God, addressing God, 70% talking to each other. 50 odd years later, I I won't go to the intermediates and so on, but you can see the definite trend from 56 years later, I did the songs again, and this time, 70% of the songs were to God, and only 30% to each other. The, The statistics had reversed. You can see a trend. The trend was to be talking to God instead of talking to each other about God. The trend was to be focusing on him instead of focusing on each other. Focus on good things, mind. It's not not wrong, but the emphasis is steadily moving towards intimacy personally with God. Yeah, that's the way it's going as God builds David's tabernacle again amongst us. We're going to get focused on Jesus more and more. Going to get focused on Jesus more and more. 
Yeah, it's good to talk about lifestyle and relationships and all that sort of stuff. Is it's got to be there, but the majority of our attention is going to be on Jesus. The majority of our attention is going to be upon Jesus, and so that's that's a quick look. I can also talk to you about the use of tongues in meetings. That has also changed from talking to each other and interpreting tongues to standing up and spontaneously singing to God in tongues. Tongues has changed. In fact, I very feel, I feel, you can't quantify this with statistics, but I feel that, that more and more we are getting Jesus-focused rather than religious-focused. Yeah, it's all about Him. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. And that's because God is restoring the David's tabernacle situation to the church today. I've got more, but I haven't got time. You can see that this is really burning in me. We're going places, folks. Things are going to change. God is going to establish houses of glory, shining with the presence of God in the midst, up and down our land. Prophets are saying that. And we know it's true because it fits the David's tabernacle time we're in. The church is going to start shining. Not shining because they're good. Shining because they are looking at him. They're worshiping him.